0: If you don't have a Bible, or it's not on your phone or iPad, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get one right to you. If you're brand new to the Bible, don't be afraid, it's the third book of the Bible, and it's a rather technical book, but we are drawing such beautiful things from it. Chronologically, we're roughly at about 1400 BC. Moses has taken the people out of Egypt, and they're in the area of Mount Sinai in Arabia. They are um, there receiving commandments from the Lord. And up to this point in the book of Exodus, they had been receiving them from God on the top of a mountain. God had been speaking to them on a mountain. uh, In regards to the Ten Commandments, calls Moses up to receive the rest of the social law and such. But now the tabernacle has been built. And that tabernacle is constructed as of the end of the book of uh, of Exodus. And now that the tabernacle is up, God had said in Exodus 25, build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among my people. I may dwell among them. And so they have. They've constructed it, and God now has come, and he's shown up at church. The building was built, God showed up, and it was so thick, so powerful that people couldn't even serve. Everybody had to just sit there and go, wow. And there, from the tabernacle, God begins to speak now to the priests telling the priests how he would like them to serve. In our first six chapters, seven chapters, we're going to get five basic sacrifices. Now understand, these sacrifices were all types um, as they lead us to the perfect sacrifice that Jesus would be. The first one in chapter one was that of a burnt offering. Unique in the sense that um, it was every bit of the animal was consumed. I mean, you took this animal, one was offered in the morning, one was offered at night, but you did some unique things with it. You laid your hands on the animal and you confessed your sins. Now understand, it wasn't like what God really likes is chopping up animals. This isn't like what God really wants here is that he thinks it's cool to throw blood all over the place. God wants us to be as gross and disgusting as we would view it. And the reason is simple, because sin is that gross and disgusting to him. It's amazing how clean sin can be to us. And the idea of killing an animal would be horrible, but to God, sin is what separates us from him. And of course, that's what makes it very serious for him. It's the cancer to our souls for which God doesn't want us to actually, of course, involve ourselves in. So in chapter 1, in the morning, we offered a sacrifice if we were able. And this was all free will, by the way. No one was required to here except the priests. And you offered it with the idea that there's a whole day in front of me, but I approach it as a sinner, Lord, and I need your strength. We don't approach it proud. We approach it excited, though, because we know that God's listening. It's a sweet sacrifice that God considers and a blessing unto him. And so we offer this with the idea there's a whole day in front of me, but I approach it with the idea that there are traps I don't see I need you to keep me from. There are weaknesses that I could fall myself into, but, Lord, I need you to protect me from those things. And I want you to guide me today in those things to make this day the gift that it's supposed to be to be unwrapped. And at the end of the day, we offered a second one. And again, total sacrifice. No part of it was shared with anyone. The entire animal was sacrificed. And the idea of it was quite simple. Jesus is our total sacrifice. The sacrificer didn't give up everything. He didn't give up every sheep. But the sacrifice gave up everything. In just the same way, Jesus is our sacrifice, gave up everything so we could be His. I mean, if you have someone tell you they love you, you have a right to be suspicious in the world we live in. But I guarantee you, it's by the amount of sacrifice and commitment a person shows that you'll actually see what kind of love is demonstrated. And can I just say that Jesus gave everything to show you his love is absolute and pure. And at night as we do, we say, Lord, even the great things were done by you. And as a sinner, don't let me sin tonight. Don't let me give myself over to my own devices. I want to celebrate you. And that was chapter one. In chapter 2 now, we offered the grain offering, and it was a gift of God. We put our hands to the plow. We put the seed in the ground. We watered the ground as much as we were able, irrigated it if if we were capable. But in every bit of that, it was God who had to bring the increase because it was still a miracle. And no matter how much we worked, if God didn't bring the rain, if God didn't bring fruition to it, it was just going to be a bunch of seeds in the ground. If you've ever done any gardening, you're aware of this. No matter how much, now some people, they have green thumbs, and I don't know how that works, but it seems like, you know, like like something, like they're eating a a burger and a sesame seed falls off the bun and it grows. And there are others of you, it's like you could take a living plant that is so vibrant you could run a tree into it and you'll break your car, but then you plant it and it dies. You know, and, and I don't know how that works either, but I can tell you this, that it's still a miracle. It's still a miracle. Life, in any sense, is a miracle from God. And that was our second sacrifice. Our third sacrifice now is here in chapter 3. Look at it with me, and it's only 17 verses. And this is what it says, starting in verse (coughs) 1. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifices of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails, all the fat that is on the entrails, and two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, it is, which is on the wood, which is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord and it's of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb in it as its offering, well, then he shall offer it before the Lord and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering, kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat and the whole fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys and all the fat that's on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. If his offering is an offering as a goat, well, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And all the sons of Aaron, I'm sorry, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood by, all around the altar. And he shall offer it as his offering, as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that's on them by the flanks. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest they shall burn, I'm sorry, let's say that again, and the priest shall burn. You know, burn the priest. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma, and all the fat is the Lord's. This is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings you shall eat neither fat nor blood. And you might think, what in the world have I gotten myself into? I haven't gone to church in a long time, and here I am, and this is what I get? Well, I'm excited to see how God's going to unpack this for us. So would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so, so much for this beautiful text Yeah, it's kind of gross, and it's bloody, and it's all kinds of things. But Lord, one thing's for sure. Jesus, you told us that all Scripture testifies of you. Somehow we could look at this, and it's going to teach us about you. And that's profound to me. And so Lord, even though we aren't practicing these sacrifices anymore, even though this is a technical book for a group of priests that performed 3,400 years ago, Yet, Lord, you have chosen in your divine wisdom to include it in a book that never changes, in a book, God, that you've chosen to remain to this day. So you must find great importance in it. For all the things you could have included in this book, you chose this. And so, Lord, let us not read past it going, oh, uh, uh," but rather, Lord, let us get what you want us to get from it. And thank you for the privilege of this time. Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and speak to every one of us right at our heart of hearts today, Lord. Let our ears hear, let our eyes see, let our hearts receive. (coughs) And Lord, perform the therapy you want in every one of us in the short time remaining. And Lord, please, please minister. Please, may we all walk out of here knowing you better, loving you more, knowing clearly, more clearly, your call on our lives. And Father, may we have so much fun in your word now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And I would say today as I would any day, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true, because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. The issue here is an issue of peace. And already we have a problem. And the problem is is that these kind of words are so defined by the world, we fail to see that the Bible has its own definition, too. Scripturally, the idea of peace is very different from the world's idea of peace, especially in this meditative world we live in. Since the 60s, there has been a huge influx of Eastern mysticism into the Western culture. So we walk around going, peace, bro. Peace. I like to go... Pieces. Anyways, but the idea was, well, what does that mean? And so what we did is we would medicate. We would go, we'd meditate, which, by the way, was was the idea that we would empty ourselves of everything because the idea of peace wasn't it like, well, there's like really bad stuff in my life, and if I could just kick it out, well, then I could have peace. So my dog, the dog's barking outside. I have to block that out. And bills are due. I have to block that out. And, well, and my that person's a jerk and I have to block that out. And then that doesn't work because after a while the dog doesn't stop barking. Well, then we go to the next thing, which is we add to it, we medicate. And now we start going, but if I could just get wasted, well, now I can't hear the dog bark like I could. I can't think straight like I used to. And the truth be told, that has some effect. Now, God doesn't endorse it, but it has effect. For somebody who doesn't know the living God and your life is a mess and you don't want to think about it, you know, the idea of muse means to think. Amuse means to not think. That's the idea. We do things to keep ourselves amused. Now, that could be six hours of The Hobbit. That could be 15 hours Star Wars fest. And I'm not against The Hobbit or Star Wars in and of itself. I, to be honest, I haven't watched them in so long, I couldn't tell you what they were about. We can go out and we're just going to club for eight hours. We're just going to let the music be so loud we can't think. The problem is, and I know you're aware of this, the problems don't go away. I mean, And the biggest issue is, is that, well, we're our own worst enemy. We're still jerks. Now, now, please understand, I'm a big fan of God esteem over self-esteem. Self-esteem is how do you like me? How, how do I like me now? Now, look at in the end of it all, if you saw how God saw you, you would realize it's a healthy balance. We are in and of ourselves, have nothing great to offer but our surrender, but we are infinitely loved in that state. You are the most loved thing in all creation. Now, please hear me. The idea of emptying yourself, that doesn't necessarily seem to work. The idea of that well, it's temporary at best, and then you go to the next thing and you meditate, medicate, and that doesn't seem to work, so let's go to the next thing and let's get overly spiritual. And so we're going to go and crawl into our mind and find a cave and go find something that speaks to us in a cave. And I've heard all of this stuff before. I was raised in that. My mother was deeply into the occult. She didn't want to die from cancer and she would have done anything to keep herself from dying. So the whole idea of this stuff, I guarantee you, you're not going to bounce anything that's new to me. But please hear me. Scripturally, peace is not an absence of bad things. Because if that's the case, you could never have peace in a rough circumstance, right? Because if it's the absence of rough circumstances and you have a cold, you can't have peace in it. Your dog starts barking, you can't have peace in it. The bills come and they will, then you can't have peace in it. Scripturally, the idea of peace is two things that were enemies that are now friends. That's the idea of peace. Two things that were at one point against each other that now are are now completely not against each other. Interesting, the first time that, that peace is mentioned is in Genesis 15 when God says that you'll go to your fathers in peace. He speaks about dying, being that. And of course, does anyone know the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. And it really works with the word rest. Now, does anyone know, and I know someone must in here, what the Greek word is for peace? The word is arene, for which we get a sister here, um, like we get the word Irene, but, um, and by the way, God willing, you'll hear from her in a couple weeks about what she did with the, um, at the safe house with the prostitutes in India. She has just gotten back. Welcome home as well. And, and the word comes from a word that means to join. But <clears throat> please understand, God is huge on peace, and He's huge on His kind of peace. And the, the difference is, by the way, you don't empty yourself, you fill yourself. Now, instead of meditating in the world where you empty yourself, you meditate on the Word where you fill yourself with God's Word. It's entirely opposite. Instead of actually running from all of your problems by trying to medicate, instead you actually confront your problems, you hand them over to the Lord and you watch Him solve them, and then you have peace in the storm. And not just peace from the storm. It's huge. And that's what should make Christians different from every other human being because the reason why we need this peace that he's mentioned 369 times in scripture is because the reason we don't have it in the beginning is because we don't have unity with God from our birth. That's the problem. We are born sinners and that's where this whole thing starts. And because we're born sinners and there's text, by the way, that takes us even farther than that. Listen to this. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, when we were enemies in our minds to God, we were reconciled through the death of his son. We were born spiritually dead. That's what, by the way, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. What did God do to stop us from being such enemies? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him, he made him, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the rightness of God in him, Just a few verses before it tells us all things are of God who have reconciled to himself through Jesus Christ and given us now that ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. He's committed that. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now listen. In in Colossians 1.21, it tells us that you were once, just like me, we were aliens. as weird as this. Not like we had tentacles and we were like aliens in the sense that we didn't belong there. We were aliens and enemies in our minds by our wicked works. But now God, through the gift of Jesus Christ, has reconciled us. That's why this is so important. Now, if I were to look at this chapter, this is let me tell you what a peace offering is, because it's actually quite a cool thing. And one of the reasons I like it so much is because what God is showing us in this is how important it is not only to have peace with him, but if we have peace with him, how important it is to have peace with each other. Now, I'm not talking about light having peace with darkness. That's entirely different. God tells us what fellowship does light have with darkness, and he tells us not to be unequally yoked. But he does say, among brothers and sisters, we are to be at peace with one another. It is so serious that when God speaks, Jesus speaks in Matthew, he tells you that if you're actually offering your gift at the altar and you realize that your brother has a problem with you, you should go make peace with him before you even offer it. Don't go play this game where I hate him and she hates me and there's division in the church, but we're going to sort of sing songs, say happy hallelujah, give our things and do whatever and walk out and think everything's cool with God. Truth be told, God does not like us playing that kind of game because God is all about reconciliation. I mean, to have his son die on a cross just so that we could be reconciled to him just tells us how serious he is about being at peace with him. You know what the crazy thing is? We're the guilty party, and and God's the offended, not the offender, and he still paid the price. Talk about the bigger man. I mean, I killed his son, and he paid my price. Figure that one out. And yet, in all of that, understand God recognizes the necessity of that. Now, look at there are some people that the only way you're going to get along with them is not to hang out. Have you learned that? You know, I mean, and he tells us in Romans, and by praise God that he does this. He says, "Look at as much as depends on you, live at peace with every person." Now, there are some people, and I love the fact he doesn't say, "Look at live at peace with every person," because there are some people you will never live at peace with. You know why? Because you're white, because you're black, because you're old, because you're young, because you're rich, because you're poor, because you're educated, because you're not educated. because Somebody's going to have a problem with you, no matter who you are. Because you have blue eyes, because you have black eyes, because you have green eyes, because you have no eyes. Whatever it is, someone's going to have a problem. But as much as depends on you, Jesus has no interest in raising up giant jerks for Jesus. But he knows that there is a necessity of being at peace. On the other side of it, God takes very seriously those who sow division. He takes that into great consideration. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing that you see that God says, you want them twice and then you send them out. Because he knows how dangerous that is among the body. Now, please hear me in this. There's a difference between a person that goes, oh, I kind of think, and it's kind of weird, versus did you hear this story about where real division is happening? Well, that person's just, or oh, and it's like, and it's crazy how that happens. And God is very simple and very clear, prescriptions for these things. He says, if someone's offended you, you go straight to them and you tell no one else. That's what he tells us in Matthew 18. That's the clearest of it. And you approach them. And that's if he sins against you. Well, what if you have a problem with his personality? God says, you know what? If I can dare say it, God says, get over it. You're going to have people with radically different personalities. You know what's the problem? Some people can be really unhappy, and that's going to bother other people. Some people can be really happy, and that will drive other people mental. Chances are they'll drive each other mental. I'm a little bit more of the tigger. If you're a little bit more of the Eeyore, can we say we both need to get over it? That's the beauty of it. And it's the optimists and the pessimists. And it's like, we're going to die. Oh, you always say that. Well, we're going to live. You always say that. You know, and it's like how that works. And understand, the reason why God does that in a fellowship where he allows us to be like this is so that the world could look and go, this would not work anywhere else. Now, think that through. That's what's supposed to happen, is that people are supposed to look in here and go, black, white, old, young, rich, poor. We haven't found the rich yet, but the poor, we got that right. I mean, and, and if you are, that's okay. But in, you know, and here's the point: it's like every every side could pick a side against the other, and the world should be able to look at this and go, "What in the world is going on here? How does this happen? This doesn't look right. How are all these people getting along? You know, it's the Greek and the Turk; they're getting along. How does that work? You know, it's the people from Brixton and Hackney sitting next to the people from Hampstead. How does that work? I'll tell you why. Because the one thing that's most important is Jesus. And he's the one who came to reconcile us. So listen to what a peace offering is. A peace offering kind of goes like this. Yasmin and I are walking down the street and I say something that really offends her. Ah, chicken. I hate chicken. And she's like, my whole life's about chicken. I love chicken. I don't hate chicken. I actually like it, but just the same." And she's like, that's it, I hate him. And she runs over and she tells Amina, her sister, ah, Pastor Tony, he hates me. How do you know that? Because he said he hated chicken and he said it in a way. And he looked at me with that look, you know, that look that says, I hate chicken. Ah. And it's like, now look at how much bigger it's gotten, right? And you know how that happens. Isn't it like, can you have, have you ever gotten in trouble because you texted someone? They're like, I don't like the tone of your text, you know? And you're like, "Have a good day." How did how do you think I said that? You said like, "Just have a good day," you know? Like, wait a minute, I said "have a good." The exclamation point was a happy exclamation point, you know. It's weird how that works. So somewhere down the line here, it goes. and, And so what happens? We we come in here. And we sit and our arms are crossed, and it's like we're on other sides, right? Praise the Lord. There's an aisle in between, so she's over there, and I'm sitting over here, and our arms are crossed. Praise the Lord. We're all one in You. I give You everything, oh Lord. And you know we went Praise God for the body. Hey, it's like thank You, Lord, for everyone. Thank You, Lord. You know, and it's like that's kind of happening in our hearts, right? And somewhere down the line, something needs to happen because we will not be happy Christians this way. We will not be everything God called us to be. And finally, the Lord nails us both. I'm going to make it good. And we, and we both fall on our face, and you're like, God, you're right, I've been a jerk. And I go up to Yasmin, I'm like, Yasmin, I don't know what's going on, but I'm sorry. And Yasmin's like, I don't know what's going on either, but I'm sorry. But see, that's how it starts. But then we offer an offering. And we offer an offering, and here's the way it works. We take an animal, and chances are we both do. So that's two animals. And we take them to the altar. When we do this thing that we just read, And then we give parts over, and then the rest of it, we barbecue. And I invite her family, she invites my family, and we invite our neighborhoods, and we sit down and we have a barbecue together because there's something about eating together that's pretty darn special. Do you know what I mean? And as we break bread together, we demonstrate to each other, and we sit next to each other for the entire meal. The idea that we're breaking bread together, we are now one again. We're friends again. And that's the celebration that's called a peace offering. It's the only one, by the way, where it becomes a public barbecue. The rest of it, what happens is you hand stuff over to the priest, the rest of it kind of gets burned and you walk away and go, cool, they got it. This is the one where it's like you can have some, this part goes This, this, this part goes here, but we're going to have a barbecue. Now, loving barbecue, that almost makes me want to get in a fight with someone to reconcile. But... Please hear me in this. Because as I look at that from that standpoint, I get this idea as I look at this. There are three things that stand out on this text. On every no, Notice, by the way, there's really only two divisions there's the herds and the flocks. Now, again, I'm not saying I'll yell the herds and I'll yell the flocks. It's one of the things you can bring. Either you can bring the herd, that means you're bringing a cow or an ox. On the other side of it, of the, of the, of the flock, that means you could either bring a sheep or a goat. Do you see that? It all depends on what you have. But understand. Division kills, and we're testifying of that. That's the point of this. Real division kills, and God has no interest in that. Now remember, we're supposed to be the body of Christ. Any part of your body you want cut off? Now I'm not talking about a little bit spare around this side or whatever, but I'm like, you ah, I could use to lose my arm today. Really? Because that's what happens when we do this. And so division, what happens here is is that when we're coming before the Lord with a sacrifice, we're coming there because we recognize how painful this is to a God who desires for us to be unified. Are you with me on this? And so what happens now is we come and we offer our offering. Now, look at this with me, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask for you just to kind of be listening, kind of have your antennas up because we're aliens. Um, We were. And I want you to listen to see if there's anything that seems repeated. That's the idea here, okay? I want you to listen. And one of the things we look at as we read this and we study the word, what we try to do is we try to go, all right, Lord, what are you trying to repeat here? So we go, okay, that seems to kind of stand out because it seems like there's a consistency. So listen as I read this, and I'll read it quicker this time. <clears throat> but as I do, see if there are things that stand out. Repeated phrases, repeated words, that kind of thing. Um, When he brings an offering of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the offering, kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails, all the fat that's on the entrails, the kidneys, and the fat that's on them by the flanks. The fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. Aaron's son shall burn them upon the altar, upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood, which is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. It was offering as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord. and of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. He shall offer a lamb as his offering, if he offers a lamb as his offering. Then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of, the, of his offering, kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron's sons shall sprinkle the blood around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat. The whole fat tail, which, which he shall remove close to the backbone, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food is an offering made by fire. If the offering is of a goat, he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from its offering, from it an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails, all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys, the fat that's on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. Okay, that was really quick. I recognize that. Tell me, what stood out? Fat. Did anyone get fat out of that? It's like, you should take the fat, 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 fatty little fat, this fat, 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 fat. You get a lot of fat out of that, don't you? What else stood out? Anything? <coughs> What's that? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Go ahead. Offering. Okay, offering. Great, yeah. Offering. You see that in oven, which, by the way, means it has to be voluntary. Anything else? You burn the fat. All the fat's going to be gone by the time you're like, by the way, I don't know about you, but fat smells good burning. I don't know about you. Some of you don't like that, but it's like, as I'm an American barbecue. I'm like, you know it's going to be good. Anything else? The whole thing repeats three times, right? Because you have the animals, right? You're right. Well, now look at. Let's say this. In all three cases, you bring the animal. What's the first thing you do to that animal in each, all three cases? Yes. You lay your hand on the head of the animal. Does that sound familiar for those of you who have been here for the last two? What other sacrifice did you do that in? The sin offering, the first one, that burnt offering. And by the way, <coughs> excuse me, that's Leviticus 1:4. Understand something. The first thing God wants to make clear: it doesn't matter whether you bring a goat, whether you bring a sheep, whether you bring a cow, whether you bring a bull. When you bring that animal in, you're going to lay your hands on the animal. Does anyone remember when we did that with Naomi? Right? She was the animal. Right? We didn't kill her. She's still here. But now, what was the purpose? Why did you lay your hand on that animal? Why, what did you do? You confessed your sins. Don't miss that. Understand, here's the first thing, and we're, there's three of these key points in this. The first is, is that if we're going to talk about sin, and we're going we're to talk about being reconciled, about peace, sin has to be dealt with. Sin is the reason we get divided in the first place. But sin is the reason why we're divided to the one who created us in the first place. Sin has to be recognized. Now understand, there becomes the problem with just about every other religion. Because it's like, you know, I know I'm kind of messed up, but really though I'm messed up, I'm just going to do some nice stuff and God's going to let me in. Or, you know what, I'll just be nicer and next time I'll be reincarnated as a cockroach. But sooner or later I'll be nice. But but scripturally God says you need to deal with your sin. There's something that has to die for your sin. Now it can be you, but it doesn't have to be. Scripturally, death is just a separation. Do you know why death hurts us when someone we love dies? Because we lose that, res- that, re- that relationship with them. We have lost, we've severed that relationship. That's why it hurts. It's like the body's still in front of us. We can still look at the face. We could grab the hand, but we don't have the relationship we did yesterday with them. And God tells us that the wages of sin is death because that's the situation. Though we're animated... God doesn't have that relationship with us because of our sin unless it gets dealt with. And how does it get dealt with? Our sin has to be put upon, by the way, in all the cases, what did the animal have to be? Does anyone know? What's that? You need to be alive and spotless. You need to be perfect. I mean, you couldn't just kill an animal's mangy old nasty thing that you were hoping was going to die anyways. Like you grab your neighbor's dog, right? Ah, I'm sick of that thing anyways. We'll just sacrifice that dog, right? Well, then you'll have to do another peace offering for your neighbors, right? <laughs> you know. But in the end of it all, this thing had to be perfect. Look, you couldn't just lay your hands on... I, couldn't, I can't lay my hands on Allie and say, Allie, take my sins for me because she's imperfect too. That's the problem with all of us. That's why you can't lay your hands on me for that. I can't take your sin because I'm imperfect too, but I know someone who is. And here's the cool part. Though you can't pick yourself to be perfect, you can pick your sacrifice to be perfect. And God says there's no more perfect sacrifice than my own son who was tempted in every way, yet without sin. We lay our hands on Christ because it's like God, there is a problem between us and it's not you, which is what the world's saying. The problem's God because he made you that way. God made you, you made you that way. I made me this way and I have to deal with my sin here's the good news God has given you the opportunity to deal with your sin that's the first of them and I realized that if I am going to really get peace with God and if I really want to get peace with you sin needs to be dealt with hey personality should not sever relationships but sin does and if sin is there it needs to be dealt with that's why if a brother sins against you we go to them alone the idea is we want to deal with the sin. Victory is not letting that person grovel and realize they're wrong. Victory is being reconciled. Do you hear the difference? You watch married couples, and we've done marriage counseling now for over 20 years. And you sit in there and you watch them, and it's like the, you don't even know, they don't even know what victory is. She just wants to, to hit something over the net at him, and he wants to hit it back, you know? And in the end of it all, it's like look at in the, it's real winning is when you both win. Not when the other one loses. Oh, you're a jerk. Boy, you know, it's like, I'd love to be able to sit there and go, let's just reconcile this. Let's just conclude this. You're both jerks. Now where do we go? (laughs) You know, of course, that's been successful. Anyways, so follow me. Here's the first thing. If we're really going to deal with this right, what we really want to do is we want to deal with sin. And in every one of these cases, we lay our hand on the animal. That's fundamental. And by the way, listen to this. Isaiah 59, 2, so you know that God pulls this to us. But your iniquities... Has separated you from your God. God makes that really clear. Because we were enemies in our mind and our hearts to God, we were separate from him. But God in his infinite love chose to come to earth so we could lay our hands on him. And when we did, we killed him. In 1 John 1, 9, it tells us, if we confess our sins, confess, by the way, does not mean sorry. Hamalagamas, it literally means to have the same words. To confess means God said it's sin and you agree with him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second thing, and you nailed it. The fat, the fat, all the fat, the fat, the fat, the fat, the fatty lobe. The fat, more fat, and fatty lobe. All the fat is the Lord's. And you think, why does God want our fat? Can I suggest to you that the fat represents three different things? And I'll be honest with you, this is a little easier for me to teach today than it was 10 years ago. And the reason is, is that I have to deal with it myself. You know, they told me, when you hit 25, you'll get fat. Then they said, when you hit 30, you'll get fat. I don't want to keep going because I don't want you to know how old I am. Anyways, (laughs) can I say, when I think about it and I sit down, it's like I'm okay when I'm standing up, but the moment I sit down, it's like this tire develops, Like, what just happened? Ruthie, my daughter, tells me about a girl who can scratch her foot with her her teeth. She's like, can you do that, Dad? I says, I'm just happy to still see my feet. You can think that one through. And when I think about fat, tell me if this makes sense. I'm going to give you three areas to consider. Fat is, number one, unspent energy. That's what it is. We ate... So, we could have energy, but somewhere down the line, we didn't spend the energy that we had. So, it's stored. The problem is, it isn't like we can just hit a button and then get energy. Wouldn't that be great? If we just kind of had the fat, we kind of went like this, and we went, Oh, i got energy now because I have it waiting for me. It just becomes weight at that point. And I realized that often in my own life, one of the things that separates me from others is the unspent energy. It's the best intention that never goes anywhere. You know, it's like, yeah, we're gonna do this great thing or whatever, but it never really happens. And then there's disappointment. And then there's hurt. When I think about fat, here's the second one is unused abundance. Scripturally it tells us, by the way, in first John three seventeen, whoever has the world's goods but sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Do you realize how much abundance we have? I think I have enough clothes in my closet to give you each at least one good jacket and a shirt. They may not fit you. Most of you, they will not fit. Maybe Peter can get a couple. But in the end of it all, I think, wow, what am I doing with that? But the more that we, give, we consume ourselves with stuff, you know, our heart's, our hearts not big enough for stuff and people. Have you learned that? you get one or the other. And I realized the more I want stuff, the less I want people. We all have some form of technology in our pockets. Some of us, we have in a lot of other places. We flip it open and we use it, get to the desktop and it's there. But you realize there's only a certain amount of space, no matter what you want to fill with it. (coughs) There's a certain amount of space. And there's that dreaded moment. If you're anything like me, you're trying to download a movie to watch it. And it says... Oh, you have no more space. Of course, it's, you've waited 20 minutes for it to download, for it to tell you that. I'm not bitter. But in the end of it's like, I'm sorry. No matter, even though you think this may be the best thing in the world, at this moment, there's just no space for it. Have you ever had that happen in your heart? You've been so busy being selfish, or is this just hypothetically someone like me? Um... And then you really want to love someone, but it's like you try to download the love you need from the Lord for them, and you don't even have the space for it because you're too full of whatever else. Because there's stuff there. And God says, give me your fat. Now as adults, we go, please take my fat, my unspent energy, my unused abundance. But there's one more from Scripture. In Psalm 17.10, God says that they have closed up their fat hearts. Now now we're a little older in, in civilization and we've got a little bit of medical advancement. We know what happens to have a fat heart. That's a really bad idea. Blood doesn't flow very well from a fat heart. A big heart, that's good. Fat heart, no. It tells us in Psalm verse 70, of the enemies of God that their heart is as fat as grease. And can I just say, not just unspent energy and not just unused abundance, but unloving lives—that we live lives that just don't love people because they're just chock full of nonsense. Have you ever seen anyone that's needed a bypass? You ever look at what they have to give those those EKGs, and you see this tube that God created for blood to flow through, and it now looks like something that needs drain cleaner. But the problem is, is that the stuff that's gotten around it now has damaged the walls of the original. That's why you have to bypass That's why you can't just do it like a, you know, and blow it through. Because in the end of it all, that will clog somewhere else and the person will die. So what they have to do is they have to, they have to actually take a tube and go around that spot because it's so full of something. It's even damaged the original vehicle. I don't know how much of my life is like that is as a minister. And by the way, we're all called to ministry as Christians. You should be aware of that. We could be so caught up with knowledge. It tells us knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And there are websites that just want to fill us full of knowledge, but don't encourage us to love. Hey, knowledge with love is a great thing. But if we just wanted to know more so we could find out why we're better than everyone else or why we're doing it right and someone else is doing it wrong. I love the fact I'm ignorant of most of that. I was like, well, did you hear about that guy? And he just said it's, like a, it's, it's viral, his website, as he attacks this thing or that thing or that person or that person because they did this and they did that. It's like, I love the fact, it's like, I don't know because it's just not my house. I don't even represent Calvary Chapel. I just want to represent the Lord Jesus and make this thing right with him. I love that. I'm not defending anything because, you know what, why would I have to defend my God? He defends me. I'm just going to stand with him and say, all right, Lord, let's do this together. But when my heart gets so fat like grease because I'm so busy trying to figure out why you're wrong and I'm right, we are not going to be at peace with each other. Now, look, there are people out there and they are messed up. But I've learned this from this, the, the parables in Matthew 13. That when an enemy went and sowed seed in the good soil, and the servants looked and said, do you want us to yank it all up? You see, wheat looks the same as darnel. Darnel actually is a, der- a, ver- a derivative of wheat. They actually have the same blades, they have the same stalks, they look the same until they grow the heads, till the fruit comes. And when the fruit comes, the, heads, the head of the darnel is black. Nothing wrong with it being black by color, but it is in the fact that it's poisonous. And God just made it really clear to tell which one is wheat and which one is darnell. And so when it starts to grow, you can't tell the difference. The same kind of leaves, the same kind of stalks, the same kind of buds. But you say, well, that person, that's clearly from Satan, and that's clearly from... It's like, you know what? I've been around a lot of brand new Christians enough to know that there's a lot of wonky doctrine in brand new Christians. Have you learned that yet? But the bottom line is, isn't God cleaning us all up still? Isn't he correcting us all still? Any of you actually reach to the top? If so, if you think you've reached to the top, you got serious issues to deal with that alone. I haven't and I you know it's like Paul didn't say I've reached the top, so come and come and join me. He said, Follow me as I follow Christ. Not that I have attained, but this I do. I leave what is behind and I press forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The dangerous thing is when some guy sets up a camp or a website or a booth or whatever and tells you why everybody else is of 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 Satan and it's a witch it's a witch hunt, and what happens is you start killing Christians because of it. Because all we're busy is trying to ask them, do you believe? I mean, and I've been in places. I've gotten, I've gotten pamphlets from so many things that makes my head spin about how worshiping on Sundays is the mark of the beast. That's one of my favorites. I'm like, so I can't possibly be forgiven because I love Jesus on a Sunday? Wow. What you have seen a rated R movie? Well, how could you call yourself a Christian? You've had a drink. How could you possibly? Now, look, and I'm not encouraging you to do those things. I'm just telling you, it's amazing how we could try to yank up stuff. But I've learned this. God says, it's not even your job to reap. That's the angel's job at the end of the age. Your job is to be a farmer. You know what farmers do? They get down there and they plant. I've learned this, that weeds tend to die when really good plants are in abundance. They still prop up. You never notice? I mean, you don't have to plant weeds. They'll show up every time. I I hate that. That just reminds us we're in a fallen world. It isn't like, oh, look it. But can I just tell you this? God knows how to do this, too. Mowing the lawn. That's something I miss when we first moved here because they're like, we've got a beautiful back garden and a back garden means something you could actually put a pot on. But, but we actually got a place now that there's some, some grass. And so we started mowing it and this was about a, you know, a year ago, a half a year ago. And I'm mowing it. I'm like, it smells, I feel like I've just brushed my teeth. What in the world's going on? We have fresh mint growing in the back that just sort of grew at wild. Now we take it and we make mint tea out of it. I absolutely love it. So God knows how to do that too. And some of you, you, that's you. You were a wild seed that landed somehow, and all of a sudden, boom, there you are. But I can tell you this God knows how to cultivate every one of us. But be careful. Because we don't want fat hearts, we want healthy hearts. We want hearts that are actually beating strong, not just globular. Because in the end of it all, here's the good news God wants your fat. God doesn't look and he goes, hey, just pick out other people's fat while you're at it. When you guys are going to have a peace offering, what I want you to do is you go look and say, you're fat, well, you're fat, well, you're fatter. And the end of all, God says, can I have your fat, all your unused abundance, all your best intentions? Can I have it? Can I have that apathy, that indifference, that coldness now because someone's done something to you when you feel you have a right? Can I just have it? You know what God says? Praise the Lord. He doesn't say, you know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to shape it into a statue so you could always look at it. Aren't you thankful he didn't do that? You know what I'm going to do with that? I'm going to burn it. I'm going to burn it so you'll never see that fat again. Oh, feel it burn. Okay, the last of them. We're getting ready to close this out. Not only does he point out that we lay our hands on the animals and it's a free will offering because this isn't something you can't be forced to reconcile there's no reconciliation. Not only does God deal with the fat, but he also gives special attention to the kidneys and to the, um, to the liver. Have you noticed that? He like, mentions them by name. what I find is interesting about the kidney and the liver? They're the eliminators. Have you noticed that? Now, some of you, you know that because you have husbands, for instance, that have a not working well kidneys or whatever the case is. But basically, when you eat, everything you eat isn't all good for you. I know that's probably a shocker for some of you, right? Some of us, we're just happy that some of what we eat actually is usable. But your body actually is created in such a way so that the parts that really aren't worth it, that really don't benefit your body, are supposed to be dismissed out of other parts of you. And there's a filter on each side of that so it can be turned into liquid or to solid. And, and, you know, I don't feel guilty telling you about it because Gina prepped us for the whole thing when she told us her story. So, but follow me in this. What if they didn't work right? What if they didn't work right? You know what happens? Those things become poisons that are supposed to be dismissed, get introduced back into the body, and the body gets terribly ill. It's because ultimately what they say is that you get septic, and it kills you. Listen, bad things are going to come into the body, even dressed as good things. Sometimes that's a salad that turns into a salmonella salad. Sometimes it's fast food Chinese. ain't doing that one again. Sometimes it's just something that didn't agree with you, but sometimes it's just that you ate something, and in that, there wasn't even a pathogen. It was just stuff that doesn't belong in your body. Your body's not real happy about it. Your body says, let's get that out. Sometimes your body says, let's get that out in a hurry. Sometimes your body says, let's get that out right now. Liver for me, that's what happens. Don't try to feed me liver. Unfortunately, you'll see it as quickly as I eat it out of the same place it went in. I'm not trying to to threaten you, but it's been said. All right, now listen. Well, what happens if it doesn't? Well, I mean, think about that now as a human being. Can I just su- suggest to you that's what forgiveness is supposed to do? Forgiveness is supposed to be a functioning kidney, a well-working liver. Because what it does is it takes that which has been, that doesn't belong, that's potentially toxic and poisonous, and it dismisses it and it eliminates it for good. It doesn't go back in the body once it comes out. It stays out, even if you're an astronaut. And can I suggest to you, this is the, one of the greatest problems within a body of Christ, within any people. is the unforgiveness. It's unforgiveness. And you know what? The enemy lives on this area. And what the enemy is trying to do, is the enemy is trying to destroy your body, spiritually. And so he'll remind you, remember what she said, and you, and you know what? And if you listen, you'll, you can still feel the pain of that moment, right? Oh, man, remember what she said. That's it. We're done. You know what you did? You just clamped your kidney. You know that person? Oh, she said she was going to, but she didn't. You just closed up your liver. And God says, you know what? I want your liver. I want your kidneys. They're mine. Listen. David would say as he cries out to the Lord, "Look on my affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins." Aren't you thankful that God forgives? Aren't you thankful that God has well-functioning spiritual kidneys and livers? The problem is, we're supposed to be like him. In Psalm 130, verse eight, and I'm, verse three, and I'm almost done here. He says, "If you, Lord, should mark iniquity, who could stand?" If God were to say, I'm not looking for good people, I'm looking for people who are sinless. Any of you actually that delusional? And if the wage of sin is death, any of us have the chutzpah to stand before God and go, give me what I deserve. But He doesn't end there. Listen, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand next verse? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Some of us know that we feel like we've used up God's mercy so much that we can't wait for tomorrow because we know it says His mercies are new every morning. We kind of figure I've probably used up today's. I better go to sleep. Start on tomorrow's. But God is abundant mercy. You know what that means? Do you know what abundant means? It means no matter how much you spend, you'll have some left over. Psalm 99, verse 8. O Lord, Lord our God, you were to them God who forgives. Though you took vengeance on their deeds. We read that God is Psalm 133, 3, the one who forgives all our iniquities and heals our diseases. In Psalm 85, excuse me, Psalm 85, verse 2, it says, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered their sin. And thus David could say in Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is he whose sins are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Jesus proves that he has that power in Matthew 9 as the paralytic is led through the roof and he says, Your sins are forgiven, and everyone freaks out. And he says, So what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or get up and walk? But so that you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, get up and walk. And the man, the paralytic, gets up and begins to walk. And then he will teach us, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, listen, if you have anything against anyone, that's serious wide coverage, isn't it? Are you going to get away with that? Any person fits into the anyone, anything fits into the anything. Anything. If you have anything against anyone, that your father says, forgive. That your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But listen to this. If you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. God says, I'm going to give you a choice. You don't have to forgive someone, as long as you're willing to go to hell for it, that's fine. But it's not fine with him. In Luke 6, 37, it says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. And forgiven, and it will be forgiven. Can I say this as we're bringing this around to close? In Luke 7, there was a woman who was weeping at Jesus' feet and covering his feet in her tears and wiping them and just anointing him and loving on him. And the Pharisees are tweaked. They're so angry. This is a sinner. What's he doing with her? He looks and goes, let's just kind of compare for a minute. When I walked in, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't even have a servant do it. You didn't give me a big hug or a kiss. You were like, hey, this girl, she can't stop kissing my feet. She's anointed and washed my feet with her tears. You know why? Because she knows something you don't. Where there's much forgiveness, there's much love. Can I just dare say, where there isn't much forgiveness, there's not much love either. The word forgive in the Hebrew, this is an easy word, one of the few very easy words that you'll probably remember if you know anything about Aero's technology. In the Hebrew, the word is nasa, N-A-S-A, nasa. And it literally means to lift off. We have off. That's the idea. Because when God takes sin from you, when he forgives, he doesn't just go, okay, we're just going to put that under. He grabs it and he pulls it off of you. It's lifted off. The word in the, in the Greek is just the same. It literally means to take and cast away. Forgiveness is not, oh, don't worry about it. It's cool. But I've got it. I'm keeping score. So when Peter asks, so let me ask you something. My brother sins against me seven times, huh? I should forgive him. So understand, Shemaiah taught them that if they sin against you three times, it's on. In other words, Shemaiah, who was one of the sages prior to this point, he was sort of on that three strike policy, you know? Three strikes, you're out. So Peter's like, check me out, check me out. Seven times. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what you need to do. Seven times, 70 times. And so instantly, if you're anything like me, I'm doing the math, that's 490 times. If you get to 489, you're in trouble. Here's the problem. If you sin against me once and I forgive you, the next time you sin against me, it's the first time again. Do you get that? You can't get to 490. You can't even get to 2 if I'm really forgiving you like I should. There's the problem. But it's almost like I forgive you and then I kind of forgive you and then I sort of forgive you and then I almost forgive you and then I don't forgive you and then I'm really angry. It's like, but check out how good I was with those seven. It's like, you didn't forgive the first time. So listen, Jay and I, or Jasmine, Yasmin and I, and there we are, and we're like, oh, chicken, oh, yeah, I hate you, oh, I hate you. Oh, God, I'm really sorry. I really like chicken, actually. Let's go to Nando's. Okay, let's do that. But first, let's do our sacrifice. What do we gonna do? First, we're going to recognize our need. I'm a sinner. That's what's caused this, and that separated us. Please forgive me. Something dies for it. But then with that, all that abundance, all that greasy heart, all that fat, all that unused I'm going to give it to you, Lord. It's yours. That abundance, man, you just need it. It's yours. It's yours. Burn it. Burn it. And then, while we're at it, I need to forgive. I need need this stuff. And the term we've used lately is flush it, man. Just flush it. If you've ever had a problem with drugs, people throw them into the, the, the toilet, but then they'll go dig for them later. It's like, but flush it. And sometimes that's what we do when someone confesses to us or says, you know what, I've I've done something wrong. And you're like, yeah, and you kind of throw it, but then you'll dig through it later. And just flush it. Dismiss it. As we go to prayer, let me ask you this. Where are you at with the Lord today? Do you recognize that's what he's done with you? Do you recognize how he's pursued you when you've wronged him like I have? Do you realize how he's paid your price and made the move and chosen to forgive he has no abundance other than good to give us. There's no greasy heart, just a big one for us. Have you said yes to the gift of Jesus? But let me ask us: this. If you have said yes to the gift of Jesus, is there anyone on anything you have? Then you'd say, well, wait a minute. And somebody would ask, well, do I have to forgive someone who doesn't ask for forgiveness? That's a good question, right? If you have anything against anyone, you should forgive them. You tell me what that says. I think that's pretty simple. I've heard it said that not forgiving someone is like drinking, your, drinking poison to kill your enemy. In the end of it all, forgiveness is, you know what? And so maybe you're like, I don't have the power to forgive that person. Do you know what they did? I may not know what they did, but I can tell you this. The one who forgave the entire world of its sins, the one who forgave the entire world of its sins, lives inside of you. And I can tell you, I have been wronged. I couldn't even tell you how anymore. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm like, Lord, I need you to forgive through me because I don't have the power to do it myself. Do you think he will? It's if we ask according to his will, we know we have that petition. Is it according to God's will that he would forgive through you? I would say absolutely. Hey, you know what? Maybe it's someone you may never see again. Lord, just get it off of me. Lift off. Get it off of me. Because I don't want to walk in that anymore. I want to be free. And you know what will happen once that happens? Real peace. Real peace. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful text. Thank you for where you've taken it. Thank you, Lord, for the way that we've, we're here in Leviticus looking at an animal dying and fat and entrails and livers and kidneys and blood poured around the sides. And, and we're seeing you in all of it. Lord, to think that you would volunteer. Volunteer to be the one to whom we lay our hands to confess our sins upon That astounds me. I am so thankful, Lord, for what you've done here. But Lord, you would not bring us in here if we don't really need to deal with this. So Lord, if there be anything in our hearts, Lord, would you please deal with it? That we would all walk out of here free, unburdened because you have lifted off our sins. And at peace. First and foremost, with you. Second, with ourselves. So Lord, I just pray right now that any believer in this room, Lord, that may have some kind of issue, and I'm not talking about personality differences where we're just told to tolerate and love each other. And truth be told, the people that may drive us the the craziest may be the ones that we truly love the most. According to your definition of love, don't let us rob ourselves of that. But Lord, I pray today that if we are harboring bitterness in our heart that you tell us is the very seed of murder, deal with that and set us free. And right now, if there be any with the sound of this voice that have not said yes to this gift of Jesus, who died on the cross so that all of our sins could be punished. Was buried just like Scripture promised, and on three days later rose again just like Scripture promised to be the Lord of the living and give us a new life and make us new creations so we don't have to be run and ruled anymore by bitterness and unforgiveness. If you've not accepted that gift, then I want to give you the opportunity to say yes. One thing's for sure, even from the beginning of this, this was an offering. In other words, this was something we made a choice in. We weren't forced to, and God isn't going to force you into heaven. But He gives you that option to be reconciled with Him right now, to have peace with your Creator through the gift of Jesus. And if you've not said yes, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I ask you to listen. And at the end of it, if you agree, I ask you to give a confident, resounding Amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. I'm not going to try to make myself right because I'm not a perfect sacrifice to offer. My works aren't. My life hasn't been. But Jesus, I believe you died on a cross to pay for all of my sins, all of my guilt, all of my shame because you chose to walk in there in my stead. So, I say yes to you. I say yes to your gift at the cross to pay for my guilt. I say yes to your resurrected lordship of my life to make me a new creation make me everything you want to make me now i pray as i surrender to you have your way in my life and wash me clean of all bitterness and anger and resentment and may i recognize the depth of your forgiveness that i would in turn love you much as i give myself to you now jesus in your name and if you agree I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, set people free now, I pray. Free from bitterness, free from the clamor, free, Lord, from Lord, from clogged hearts and livers and kidneys, from fat, from bearing the burden of their own sin and guilt. Take them seriously, Lord, we pray. And let us be the body you call us to be, united in you. Jesus, where you are the thing that unites us. So we give ourselves to you and we just say, now use us, Lord, as ambassadors of peace to a world that is still at enmity with you. Let us proclaim the God who reconciled his enemies through the cross and give them that offer now too as well we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.